Thanks so much, fellas. It was fantastic. Evening, everyone. It's great to see you. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, as someone who leads a church just up the road from Disney, I concur that it is not the happiest place on earth. In fact, I, I joke with my kids, uh, the happiest place on earth for me is the Disney exit gate. <laughs> this is a happier place. Uh, even though we have many employees in our church, it's a great place, but not my happiest place for sure. We had, uh, talking of happy, we had some uh, dear friends who uh, lead a church in, in Visalia come up and spend the day with us. And isn't it amazing to connect with friends in a beautiful place? Um, someone said that uh, deep Christian community halves our burdens and doubles our joys. And I uh, really trust that that's happening with you, both in your families and uh, with all the new friends that you, that you make. Thanks so much for a number of people who um, cleared out the book table last night. That was very kind of you. Um, and uh, there, there are more books, and they normally go for 10 bucks, but I'd rather you just take and give what you can. Um, there's three books there. The one uh, is a book that I've co-written with a historian and our, and our staff uh, on the history of biblical history of revival, and uh, as you heard me last night talk about the Asprey awakening, I have a, I have a genuine desire for, uh, for the church to pray for revival. We can't create revival, um, only God can do it, but we can prepare ourselves and trust, and so that's a, that's a little prayer primer uh, that looks into the history biblically of revival, and then also some more recent revivals in God's church. And then there's a, uh, there's a book on um, just the history of, of our church and its church planting journey called Broken for Blessing. That was my master's thesis turned into a book. And, uh, and then our church network after COVID asked me to write a book out of the Psalms on emotional health, just because so many people were struggling with anxiety and depression and loneliness. And um, we work really closely with, with biblical counselors and therapists. My, my wife is a counselor. Uh, and yet I, I believe that the Psalms are a, an unmined treasure of emotional health. We don't realize how serious God is about our emotional health. And so uh, that's a shorter book. Feel free to avail yourself of that. All right. You're ready for the next installment of Genesis. Good stuff. We are fast forwarding to Genesis 28. And uh, we are looking particularly at the life of Jacob. And so we uh, last night looked at Abraham and Sarah and God's promise uh, to bless the world through the family of faith. And he made that promise when they were old and infertile and impotent. Uh, and yet God did it. And last night we talked about how in their impatience they took action, believing that God was inactive um, and Ishmael was birthed. But God was still gracious. He doubled down on his promise. And God is faithful even when we're not. Amen. That's, that's the story of the gospel. God is faithful even when we are not. He wants us to be faithful, but actually his covenant does not rest ultimately on our faithfulness, but on his. And so Isaac, the child of promise, is born. And uh, Isaac is a man who finds a wife, Rebecca, from Abraham's hometown and brings her back to Canaan. And uh, they, have, they have twins. And what's fascinating is Rebecca is also infertile. She can't fall pregnant for 20 years. And uh, Isaac 
prays, he prays, and he prays, and he prays. And the Lord gives them twins. And while she is pregnant with twins, the Lord speaks and says, there are two nations within your womb. And uh, these, these sons, these twins, would be called Jacob and Esau. And God says something stunning. He says, the older will serve the younger, and the stronger will serve the weaker. So Esau is born, and Esau is this alpha male. He is this hairy hunter. He's ruddy. He's got red hair. He's a mesomorph, muscular guy. He's his dad's favorite. He's a classic alpha male. Um, he, would be a, he would be an MMA fighter in our day. And uh, the brother who comes out afterwards comes out grabbing his heel. <laughs> and so they call him Jacob. Jacob means heel grabber. And Jacob was a smooth boy, not hairy. He was uh, much more of a beta, beta male. He was his mom's favorite. He didn't like hunting. He wasn't physically strong, but he was shrewd. Um, he would have been like a Bill Gates in our day. And uh, he was a shrewd trickster. And he much preferred being at home uh, with his mom cooking in the tents. And uh, there is this moment where we understand in ancient Near East culture, the birthright goes to the older brother. And so the older brother would get double the wealth, and uh, he would be head of the home when the father died, and Esau was supposed to get the birthright. But there's this moment when Esau comes home famished from hunting. It was a bad day hunting. And uh, Jacob is cooking this stew. And the great irony is he, didn't, he wasn't even cooking meat. He was cooking lentils. <laughs> and this hairy alpha male hunter who loved meat says, give me a bowl of that stew. And it's like Jacob, this heel-grabbing, shrewd, trickster son of a gun, takes his moment and he says, then give me your birthright. And in this moment of passion and hunger, Esau gives his birthright for a bowl of stew. And it wasn't even meat stew, it was lentil stew for heaven's sake. And so there's this moment where actually what was prophesied was, was fulfilled. That the older would serve the younger, and the stronger would serve the weaker. And so we, we, we pick up on the story where they are older now, they are adult men, and, and Esau has left home, but he's actually plotting now to kill his brother Jacob. And Jacob, who's been the shrewd trickster, he's got a head in life. He's planning to be the head of the home. He's stolen his brother's uh, birthright, actually finds that his older brother is rage-plotting to kill him. And his mom, this is mama's boy, favorite, says, no, 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 run. Go back to my home. Find a wife for yourself. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis 28, where Jacob, who's actually been blessed by his father with the birthright, and yet he's on the run. He's a fugitive because his brother is rage-plotting to kill him. He 
finds himself meeting with God. Genesis 28, 1 to 22. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite woman did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then jo Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go, I will give and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So the big story is that God is fulfilling his promise that through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he would create a family, a family of grace, a family of faith that would bless the whole earth. And he shows, Jacob is my favorite character in all of Genesis. Because God shows, not only through Jacob, but particularly through Jacob, that he does not use people who earn his favor and blessing. Jacob demonstrates that God uses those that do not deserve his favor. It was convention to bless the older and bless the stronger. 
And God chooses to use and to bless the younger, the weaker, the shrewd trickster. So here's a guy who has got pretty far up until now. He's managed to get his father's blessing. He's managed to get his brother's birthright. But now he's a fugitive on the run from his raged full brother. And I love how the narrator is so, or narrator, you say narrator, I say narrator, is, is so efficient in describing his life. And, and his life is actually falling apart. It says in verse 10, he comes to a certain place. So he's on the run, and he comes to a certain place. In other words, it's such a kind of a one-horse podunk town that it doesn't even have a name. He just comes to a certain place. He's in the middle of nowhere. And he goes to sleep on a rock for a pillow. <laughs> in other words, the guy is flat broke. He can't afford a mattress. He can't afford a pillow. He can't afford a tent. He can't afford lodging. He's in a place with no name, and he's asleep on a rock for a pillow. You think you're struggling financially? I think we've all got pillows, right? All got a soft bed to live in. Just as an aside, I do a lot of traveling. And I know that I've, as I've aged, I've got softer and softer because I travel with my favorite pillow. You know those like shaped pillows, you know? Uh, amen. And uh, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm getting so soft. We, we go through to a, a lot of just beautiful nations and difficult nations. We've just this last... Uh, yeah, I've done my 100th international trip. We do a lot of training with pastors, and, and uh, it's, it's a privilege. <laughs> but one of the things I was just like, I've got to have my pillow. I don't know about you. But uh, the, the, the narrator here is trying to illustrate that this guy is not in a good place. And he uses a metaphor. It says, and the sun was setting. It's a, it's a metaphor of how Jacob is actually entering into a place of darkness. The sun is going down. He has, he has tried everything. All his best laid plans have actually now gone astray. And I've, I've, I've entitled this message, When Our Best Laid Plans Go Astray, from my favorite Californian author, John Steinbeck, who wrote... The best laid plans of mice and men go astray. I'm a planner. Are you a planner? Uh, it's good to plan. And Jacob certainly was a planner. But at this point in his life, he was like, I thought I would be in a better place. I thought my life would be further than it is right now. But here I am on the run from my brother in, in, in a one-horse town that has no name. And I can't even f afford a flipping pillow. The sun is setting on my life. And it's like the heavens are closed to Jacob. Even though he's got his father's blessing, even though he's got his brother's, stolen his brother's birthright. And maybe what's happening is that he's reaching the end of self-confidence. Maybe God is bringing him to a place where the self-reliance on his shrewd street smarts is actually hit a ceiling. I think that that's what's happening. And certainly scripture is not anti-planning. You read the book of Proverbs particularly, and it's all about wise planning. If we 
fail to plan, we plan to fail, etc., etc. But as people of faith, we often have a sense of timeline for our lives, and God is not beholden to those timelines. He's often much slower than we would expect, and Genesis was full of that. And sometimes he's faster than we would expect. And so we have these plans, and we have this sense of like, if I do this right and do that right and study here and save there and work hard, I will be at this point here. And some of you might find in your life that, man, I'm further along than I thought I'd be. But having pastored for almost 30 years, the vast majority of the flock I pastor are going, I thought I'd be further along by now, relationally, in terms of my spiritual maturity, financially, in terms of my ministry. I thought I'd be further along. How many of you feel like, I thought I'd be further along than I am now? Any of you? About three honest people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, if you're, if you're going like, man, I'm much further along than I thought. God, I mean, God bless you. That is amazing. That's an amazing thing. But so often I meet people going like, my, my timeline and God's timeline just doesn't seem to work. The best laid plans of mice and men go astray. What happens when we get to that place? What happens when we get to that place like Jacob, when the sun seems to be setting on all our plans? Well, I want to say something that sounds outrageous, but I believe it's true. When we get to that place, it's not enough only to believe in God. Belief and faith in God is absolutely vital. We walk by faith. We are a people of faith. Last night was all about the lesson of faith. Jacob had faith. He'd actually heard of the prophecy that the older would serve the younger, the stronger would serve the weaker, and he'd actually acted shrewdly, but by faith. Like, I'm the guy. He had a faith in God. And you know what? At that point, it wasn't enough. It's almost like he had used God to get to a place. God was useful to him. But actually... God was going to become beautiful to him. At a point in our lives when we feel like, man, my best laid plans have gone astray, we need to have a faith that sees God not just as useful, but as beautiful. He was going to encounter God himself. He was going to comprehend his grace. He was going to experience his presence and out of that would come a fresh trust and reliance on his promise. God was going to become beautiful to Jacob. And that's what he wants to become to you and I. I have found in my life, God has surprised us at times. And we're like, oh my gosh, we never thought we'd be here. This is incredible. But, but very often in times when my timeline seems to be like way ahead of where God is actually at with me. I'm faced with, oh, is God just useful to me or is he beautiful? We all face disappointments, big and small. Talking about books, I've, I've, I've written for a number of years and, had a, and this is in some ways not a big thing, but it's, it's an example. One of the things that I, I've, I've, I've dreamed about was having books translated into other languages so that people could
could read them. And I've had people come up and say, this book should be in other languages. I was like, yes. Would someone come and translate it? And at the end of last year, a German publisher out of the blue just came to me and said, I've got your book. I think Europe needs to hear this. And I said, yes, at last. This guy said, if you just do this tweak and this tweak, we're going to translate it into Germany. And it's uh, into German. It's going to go across Germany and Switzerland. And it's, it's going to be amazing. I was like, that's amazing. Went away and did the tweaks and so excited. And then the, a month later, he came back and he said, we've just done our financial strategy and we just think it's not going to work. And you just go, I wasn't even looking for you. Like, I mean, why did you raise my hopes only to dash them, right? It's, it's an example of many of us have those moments. Man, we make the plans and then they don't quite work out. The big lesson here is that the life of faith is not ultimately about building our way up to heaven. The big lesson is that the gospel is not building a stairway to heaven to your best life now. The gospel is about building a stairway from heaven to us. That's what God was trying to teach Jacob. And so he sleeps with his head on his pillow. He's not even seeking God. He's just exhausted. He's fearful. He's got to make this long thousand-mile journey. And as he sleeps, it says, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The CSB says that the Lord was standing there beside him, not above him. So there's this incredible picture of this stairway coming from heaven. Think almost of an escalator in a mall, in a mall with angels descending and ascending. It's just this glorious, glorious picture. Three glorious things. Firstly, he sees this ladder coming down from heaven and being set up on the ground where he lay. And it's not a narrow ladder like a fireman's ladder. It's, it's broad. It's a, it's a stairway. And there are these angels. And I just want us to to just suspend our hallmark vision of angels. The little cute Cupid Valentines. You know, C.S. Lewis talking about angels and how our culture has corrupted our vision of angels says, it's amazing that almost every time someone encounters an angel in scripture, the angel says, fear not. Why? Because they are very scary. <laughs> angels are awesome. The Bible describes them as messengers of flaming fire. These warriors. So, so suspend your touched by an angel vision. You know, with this creepy angel with the perfect hair and the halo goes, hello. You know, no, no, no. It's like blazing, glorious fire. And so it's the stairway, it's the angels, and then it says the Lord himself stood over him. He descends and stands over Jacob. And Robert Alter says a better way to translate the Lord stood above him is the Lord stood over him. And you can hear by, by what 
what he's about to say, that the Lord is intimate and speaking to him and he's, he's near. And this is an act of extraordinary grace, isn't it? Because this is like, Jacob is the original Jake the snake. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's shrewd. He's lied. He's been deceptive. He's tricked his brother. He's tricked his father. He's not seeking God. He's sleeping. And the Lord reveals himself to him and speaks to him. We're going to look at, at the content of what he says in a moment. But, but look at Jacob's response to the dream. He, he wakes up and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he calls the place Bethel, which means the house of God. Can you see that the Lord is becoming beautiful to Jacob, not just useful? What's happening here is that the narrator of Genesis, Moses, is wanting us to contrast Bethel with Babel. Now, Babel in Genesis 11 was where the people built a tower. said, let us build a tower to heaven. And they built this pagan-formed tower called a ziggurat. It's kind of this pyramid-formed tower. Uh, Nolan, maybe you can get it up there. And uh, can you get it up there? That uh, ziggurat, is it up there? Yeah. This, this is that sort of form. And it's got stairs, and pagans would make sacrifices at the bottom of the stairs to their gods, and then for these sacrifices say, okay, now we can ascend and meet God. And we know in Babel, God says, no, 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 this is not the way I do it. Those nations do that. This is not the way I do it. You don't build a stairway to me. And Bethel is the moment where God says, I am unlike any of the other pagan gods. You don't build a stairway to me. I build a stairway down to you. I am the God of grace. And grace is not earned. You don't reach me through your shrewd, trickster, deceitfulness or your sacrifices. I reach you by my kindness. And so we glimpse the gospel in beautiful, beautiful ways. You know, every other religion tries to build a stairway to heaven. I want to speak with respect, but I want to speak with courage. Islam has five pillars. Through obedience to these five pillars, we build a stairway to heaven. Buddhism has eight steps of meditation. And through meditation and self-actualization, we build a stairway to heaven. New Age mysticism, as well, builds a stairway to heaven through meditation. Even secular philosophies, socialism, through wealth redistribution, we build a stairway to heaven. Even capitalism, and I think it's better than socialism, but it builds a stairway to heaven through saving and hard work. It's the sense of every single philosophy, either religion or secular philosophy, is trying to build a stairway to heaven. Only the gospel builds a stairway from heaven. 
sometimes even moralism, through good works. I build a stairway to heaven. But we find that in the gospel, God the Son leaves heaven and comes down and lives the life that we could not live and dies the death that we should have died in our place as a substitute. Jesus is not pointing to a stairway saying, you do this, you take these steps and you'll reach heaven. Jesus is saying, I am the stairway. I came down to you so that you don't have to build a stairway to heaven. And you go, wow, that's kind of fanciful. Actually, in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls himself Jacob's ladder. There's this moment in the Gospel of John when Jesus sees a man called Nathanael coming towards him. And he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus hearkens back to this very chapter and says, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the one who came down to you because you could not ascend to me. Isn't that glorious? I want to give you a practical application to that as parents. Parents, and it's not all parents here, but help your kids to move from Babel to Bethel. All of us have plans for our kids, and that's good. All of us have plans for them to be moral, for them to be upstanding citizens, for them to get good grades, for them to go to good colleges. Some of us have plans and dreams for our kids to get scholarships so that they can study and we don't have to get in too much debt. And, 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 and honestly, by God's grace, this is one of the moments where Ronella and I were just like, we didn't see this coming. We are much further ahead than we thought. Our son was the recipient of a full-ride football scholarship. I mean, we've lived the American dream. It's an amazing thing. Grateful to God. But I have done studies on the percentage chance that your child will get a full-ride scholarship. And do you know what the percentage is? It's 0.3%. And what I see is, I see parents sacrificing absolutely everything on that very slim chance that my kid will make it and get the full ride scholarship. And I want to say, man, not facetiously, but, but humbly, there is a 100% chance that each one of our kids will stand before God one day and God will say, what did you do with my son? In other words, ultimately, we are raising our kids, even though we want good morals and good grades and good jobs and good husbands and good wives and our kids, that's all good stuff. But ultimately, we are not raising them to build their stairway to heaven and achieve something. Ultimately, we are raising them to receive something that they could not achieve. Let's teach our kids to receive the grace of God. And when success comes, we rejoice in it. But we don't build our whole identity around that. And you know what happens is when 
the gospel of grace, God building a stairway down to us rather than us building a stairway up, when we receive it, we can actually enjoy the good things that God does without them becoming the core of our identity. I think the second big idea here is that God would call us to lay down our timelines and take up his promises. At this moment, Jacob encounters God, and he's actually encountering Jesus. Jesus says, I I was there. I was Jacob's ladder. Jacob didn't realize it, but he realized God is beautiful. And there was a moment at which he had to lay down his timeline. What was going to happen after this moment was that Jacob, he didn't know it, but he was going to have to serve Laban 14 years for his wife. 14 years. Talk about a timeline. Man and woman who've like toiled hard waiting for your wife, waiting for your husband. No one I don't think has been as worked, toiled 14 years. And God was preparing to say, my boy, your and my timeline are different and I'm not beholden to your timeline. But I do want you to take up my promises. And I want you to see how precious God is in terms of Jacob's need and where he is. Remember, he is on the run from his brother. He's fearful. His life is at risk. He is flat broke, poor as a church mouse. And he's also lonely. He's all by himself. And God comes with these precious promises. And he connects his promises to Jacob's needs. And God does that for us. Look at the verses. God makes three promises that correspond to the three situations that he faces. Firstly, Jacob is penniless. And in verse 13, God says, I will give you the land on which you lie. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't tell him how. Doesn't tell him when. And if I was Jacob, I was like, land? God, can you just start with a pillow? That'd be really nice. No, no, no. You're thinking too small, Jacob. I'm going to give you land. Isn't that beautiful? He promises his provision in the midst of poverty. I do not believe in the prosperity gospel, but I do believe in a God of provision. And if you find yourself in a place where you go, I'm sleeping with my head on a rock for a pillow. In other words, there's really real need. God says, lay down your timelines. Don't say, by this I must have this. By this age I must have this. Lay that down, but take hold of the promise of God. I will give you the land on which you lie. And then he's all alone. He's in the middle of nowhere. And in verse 14, God says, I am with you. Isn't that beautiful? God promises companionship to him. And he also promises him family. He's not married yet, but he says, I am with you and I will give you offspring. He promises him companionship and community. I want to say, man, that's, that's not just talking about biological family. If you find yourself in a place where you feel isolated communally and spiritually, God is completely committed to connecting you with a healthy spiritual community. I am with you, 
and I will give you offspring and family. And then remember, he's on the run from his brother. He's on the run. And God promises him. He says, I will protect you and I will sustain you. Isn't that beautiful? So there's a promise of provision for poverty. There's a promise of companionship for loneliness. And there's a promise of protection if we feel like we are on the run. God is not beholden to our timelines. But actually, if we lay down our timelines and take up his promises, he is incredibly, incredibly faithful. Let's land with the third big idea, and I think this is my my favorite in, in the whole passage. God wants Jacob to realize in this amazing open heaven vision as he sleeps that God wants to inhabit every place where Jacob is. This statement, God was surely in this place and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful statement? In other words, God is saying, man, Jacob, you lay down to sleep. You didn't see this as a sacred place. You weren't seeking me. You were on the run. But because you do not build a stairway to heaven, I build a stairway from heaven. Every place for me can be a sacred place. God was in this place, and I did not know it. You know what the lesson is here? Because of the gospel, there is no such place as an ordinary place. There's no such place as an ordinary place. Because God has opened heaven and come down in the form of Jesus who lived on the earth as the Son of Man, who also had no place to lay his head. And because God indwells his people by his Spirit, he actually says, everywhere you are can be a sacred place. It's very easy for us to be up here and go, this is a sacred place, God is here. And I do believe God puts his hand on places. There's the, there's the book, God's Hand on Hume, and I absolutely believe it. But I want to say, when you go home, and when you go to your office, and when, when you go to university, God wants to inhabit that place with his presence. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. God wants to surprise us with showing up in places that we'd least expect. There was no altar here. There was a rock for a pillow. And after God had revealed himself, Jacob makes an altar out of the rock and pours oil in it. The Lord was in this place. Can we see that our homes, that our schools, that our places of work, that our soccer fields, that our coffee shops, they can be altars of God's presence if our eyes would be open to them. As Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch of this world 
over which Christ does not cry, it is mine. It is mine. As I said, my wife is a counselor. And last week she went on a retreat where she was training other counselors. And she bumped into a man there called Grant. Some of you are not even going to believe the story. It's so outlandish, but it's beautiful. It illustrates this point that there is no such place as an ordinary place. If we will be faithful, God will show up. Grant has a sister called Chelsea. And Grant says to Rennell, who's he's now 40, do you remember me? Rennell's like, remind me. He says, you babysat me and my sister in South Africa. So Rennell's like, yeah, I remember that. This is Grant. Grant says, our parents were not believers, but I remember you as a student praying for us as you babysat us that the Lord would keep us peaceful at night because he used to struggle with nightmares. And when I was like, I remember that. He said, well, a number of years on, I actually came to Christ and your prayers were actually instrumental. That was the first experience I had of prayer and God's peace. You as a babysitter introduced me to that. My sister and I went to church. We got saved. He said, then I became a pastor. I'm now pastoring a church in San Diego. Thank you for being a praying babysitter. Isn't that amazing? We were just like, Lord, you are so good. I say, never underestimate the humble prayers of a babysitter, a teacher who's kind, teacher who just finds a little way to bring the gospel in, an accountant who's full of integrity, shares the gospel, shares this testimony. You just don't know how God is going to open heaven, and you go, surely the Lord is in this place, and we did not know it. There is not one square inch of this world over which Christ does not cry. It is mine. The early church had this phrase in Latin called Corum Deo, which was that all of life is lived under the gaze of God. Because they understood that while gathering as the church in a place, the people of God, in the presence of God, sitting under the word of God, pouring out the praises of God, taking up the sacraments of God, I'm a pastor, I'll always be highlighting that, but the early church understood that while that was the priority, that was not the only sacred space. That actually that was a gathering sacred space. And then the people of God scattered, carrying the sacred presence of God with them. Surely the Lord was in this place, and we did not know it. I want to pray for you as we land, that the Lord would open heavens to you as you preach, sorry, as you sleep, as you dream, as you have quiet times and sit under the preached word of God, but that the Lord would send you back with a fresh sense of him being with you at home, at school, at university, and in your place of work. Lord, thank you 
so much for this mysterious passage. We thank you that in Christ you have opened heaven. We thank you, Lord God, that you have revealed yourself to us through your Son. We confess, Lord, that our best plans to build a stairway to the perfect life, they often just go astray. So we want to lay down our timelines. We want to take up your promises. Thank you for your promise of provision, your promise of your presence. Thank you for the promise that you protect us. Thank you most of all for the promise of salvation, that through your Son you have forgiven us of sin and you have reconciled us to your presence. We thank you, Lord, that salvation is not only being forgiven of sin, but it's also being reconciled and having our eyes open to your presence. And I just ask, Lord, that these precious people, that as they sleep, as they talk, they would have moments where they go, oh, the Lord is in this place. And that you would commission them afresh as they return home with a sense of you being with them in the places where they are. And everyone said...